0: Climate change may be very well the greatest threat to the existence of humankind and yet well, the
1: media change has... Climate
2: is making us feel depressed, depressed and is it any nation? wonder we're being in the informed the left, right and well, centre that the Australia's is greenhouse gas emissions continue to rise baseline, after quarterly data was published by the Environment Department in the yesterday. Air,
0: air, air, air. The big storm events are going ahead go, uh, 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 and uh, big d- storm d- events and cyclones, air, uh, particularly cyclones uh, becoming much more intense on average. levels
2: of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere now exceed... 500 parts per million as average yearly levels climb at the fastest rate in history.
3: The
0: news can be hard to take. Stories about how our world is warming, a crisis is occurring, and no one seems to be acting accordingly. Working on this show, I'm often told that individual action is good, but not good enough. That what we need is systemic change, and in some cases, a complete overhaul of our society and the way it operates. And I wondered if somewhere, way out there, there are people trying to do just that. People who are leaving society behind to start from scratch. This is Think Sustainability. I'm Nina Copel. In this episode, we'll look at two examples of starting from scratch. We'll talk about cities rising from the sea.
3: A group of uh, crazy guys looking at living on the sea.
0: But first, we'll go to a village being developed in a valley. one sunny Saturday, I woke up early, got in the car, and drove for about an hour north of Sydney. I was heading for the suburb of Narara, which is not a massive suburb, it's mainly residential, although it does have a train station and a school. But when you drive past the school on Fountains Road, you reach a gate, and then a private road where the speed limit drops, and you find yourself in a pocket of trees and rolling hills, and all you can hear are birds birds and the excited chatter of new people arriving in a new place.
1: Welcome. Hi.
0: Is this your first visit here? Yes,
1: it is. Oh, well, you're doubly welcome.
0: I've come for an open day at Narara Eco Village.
1: And then there'll be a walk, a tour around um, what we've been doing.
0: An intentional community with a focus on their environmental impact.
4: An intentional community would be a group of people who've come together to create a new kind of housing community that is trying to address whatever kind of problem their particular community thinks is an issue in the way the world's currently run.
0: This is Matthew Daly.
4: I'm a senior research consultant at the Institute for Sustainable Futures at UTS.
0: And Matthew has spent a lot of time looking at intentional communities, what makes them intentional, but also how their intention is inspired by the environment.
4: For the last 40 years, I guess, trying to live in a more environmentally sustainable manner has been a focus of people starting intentional communities.
0: A commonly occurring example of which is an eco-village.
4: And that's something that came into common use probably in the last 20 years, since really, since climate change has become an issue on the world stage.
0: I'm part of a group on a tour of Narara Eco-Village. We leave the main road and follow a trail through the property. Walking past their infrastructure... And all these
5: new nice roads we had to pay for and put in recently.
0: Houses...
1: So that's my thermal mass, it's in the middle of the house.
0: People...
5: You're joining a village, so we get
0: to know you and you get to know us. And animals. All of which make this place unique and sustainable. After the tour, I ask around to see who the best person would be, to tell me about the village and what they're trying to achieve. Everyone tells me their founder, Lyndall Paris, is away, but that John Talbot is the next best thing.
2: I'm John Talbot. I'm the project director for Narara Ecovillage.
0: I find him in the valley, and together we walk up a little grassy hill where we can sit and talk overlooking the village.
2: Yeah, Narara um, Ecovillage is the site of the old Gosford Horticultural Research Station, and it's in a valley with Narara Creek and the Strickland State Forest surrounding it on three sides. Uh, We're having an open weekend, and we've got probably about 80 or 100 people visiting to see what we're up to. There's some stalls, and um, kids have been baking cookies and selling them. Uh, There's a few uh, crafts.
0: So if an intentional community is different to a normal community because everyone has intention, what is the intention here?
2: I think, just in a nutshell, we're trying to make a demonstration sustainable community that's that's sustainable not just ecologically, you know, in terms of our food and energy and water and shelter, but also socially sustainable, and so connected communities, social infrastructure, social capital, the things that make community and a sense of belonging. We want to be economically sustainable as well, and we want to take care of each other and sort of a sense of well-being coming out of that.
0: Talking to people around the village... I did get the sense that this focus on well-being is a big motivator in people's decision to move here. Well, I wasn't happy in the suburbs. This is Jazz. She lives at the village and works as their administrator. But before she moved here, she was trying to live a normal life.
5: My daughters kept saying, can't you be normal? And just come home after work, sit down, watch the television, go out with a friend, go to the movies. And I said, but it's boring, there's no purpose, there's no, I don't feel there's a sense of purpose in my life.
0: She was doing what was expected of her, working a corporate job.
5: paid good money, but just really not enjoying it.
0: And it was impacting her mental health.
5: So I was getting depressed about life and feeling there was no hope for the future, and Listening to the news in the morning, I had to stop listening to the news because I just I was depressed before I got to work.
0: What kind of things in the news was it that... Was well, that
5: there's hard? all these terrible things that happen to people, but there's also the um, corruption and the political agendas and, you know, earthquakes and natural disasters and everything you listen to on the news, I should say, sorry, most of what you listen to is depressing. I just needed to get away from that.
0: Which started her
5: search... I travelled up north to Crystal Waters and I travelled to Jaspers, another community, and looking for something like this. And then she
0: found Narara.
5: Like a lot of us, we just felt immediately, this is it. Jazz found her purpose. So with all of us collectively together, we're achieving something. So you wake up every day feeling there's some purpose to your day and working with the others collectively, you actually do get
0: somewhere. You achieve goals, and it's a wonderful feeling. And so it seems Narara is meeting some special need for its villages. But I wanted to know about their environmental impact. Do you know how impactful, or rather how, how much you'll be mitigating your impact as a community by living in this way?
2: It's pretty significant, and we've developed our own building standards and each house that we build will is required to put enough solar energy you know on their roof to cover all of their energy costs and over a period of years to pay off the embodied energy that they used in order to build their house so looking at a really carbon neutral solution food production you know is a really significant agriculture is a big contributor to global warming so we want to try to do things differently here in terms of food production We know we're not going to be able to grow all the food we need, but we can certainly do a a good portion of it.
0: So is it possible that the solution to our climate crisis is as simple as returning to village life?
4: There was a, a reasonable number of studies done.
0: This is Matthew Daly again from UTS.
4: And people living in sustainable communities were pretty successful at reducing their ecological footprint or their carbon footprint or in whichever way you want to kind of measure their environmental impact, they were, they were doing a good job.
0: The question then becomes, is good, good enough?
4: Most of them maybe weren't, hadn't reduced their footprint enough to be sustainable, as in we were living within the limits of one planet worth of resources, but they were doing a lot better than most other examples out there.
0: Eco-villages might be a great way for communities to come together and work to challenge the status quo. But if even this model isn't enough to bring your environmental impact within the limits of our Earth's resources, I wonder how radically society would have to change before you could truly live sustainably. There's this group called the Seasteading Institute, which is all about starting a new society out at sea. One of the kind of cult founding stories you hear about them is that they were inspired by Burning Man, this crazy annual gathering of 70,000 people in the desert. They start with nothing, and through creativity and collaboration, they form a new city. At Burning Man, there are no food stalls or drink stands. Your money is useless. You're forced to rethink society. And what Burning Man goers bring to the desert, seasteaders want to bring to the sea.
4: Progress is basically finding things that are new and better. And the way we find things that are new and better is from experiments, from trial and error.
0: This is Petrie Friedman, the founder of the Seasteading Institute, talking at an event. And what he's proposing is straight out of science fiction. An entire city floating on the surface of the sea.
4: Right, if we can open a new frontier and build new cities, then we can try new forms of government. And the next frontier before space is the oceans.
0: And this isn't all as abstract and impossible as it might sound. I'm very happy with the seasteading movement. This is Karina Zubieska, co-founder of our company, Blue21, an architectural design firm specializing in floating developments and good friends of the Seasteading Institute. We met
3: quite some years ago and we are very glad to learn that there is also somewhere on the other part of the, of the world, a, a group of uh, crazy guys looking at <laughs> living on the sea.
0: Blue21's website is full of beautiful digital images of floating cities and structures that don't quite exist yet. So one of my favourites
3: is uh, the one for uh, French Polynesia.
0: Imagine an organic-looking seahorse shape floating just off the shore.
3: One of the the starting points was to to create something that blends into the, the environment.
0: From the sky, it would look green, lush, Natural.
3: A little slope uh, with grass, a lot of uh, trees around it. But below the grassy slopes. There is a marina and houses of different size uh,
0: where people can live in apartment or in uh, separate homes. But homes and apartments that are still in touch with the natural world around them.
3: Because it's beautiful water, very, very clear and a lot of fish and coral reefs, so they can see it. And on a daily basis by using uh, glass windows.
0: Which is not just an
3: aesthetic choice. When you actually see what there is, ideally the incentive to, to pollute or to throw things away, uh, be less. We we're also experimenting with different things that you could attach to the floating
0: body, uh, to the floating structure underneath. The idea is for these floating structures to not only be sustainable but restorative. Uh, for example, shells
3: could grow, or even corals could be attached. And uh, in this way, it would be uh, also habitat for for these kinds of animals.
0: But Karina also sees these structures as a practical solution to a rapidly changing world. In some
3: island nations, there are already examples of islands being swallowed by the sea. And this is quite uh, disturbing, of course. And such a floating structure could help out in that case.
0: In the last few years, this French Polynesia development has been making headlines around the world. Sea levels are rising. Time to build floating cities? Talk started towards the end of 2016.
4: A pilot project for a new libertarian floating city will have 300 homes, its own government, and its own cryptocurrency.
0: And got serious at the beginning of 2017.
4: World's first custom-built floating city to rise off French Polynesian
0: waters. When the Seasteading Institute signed a Memorandum of Understanding, or MOU, with the government of French Polynesia.
4: French Polynesia signs first floating city deal.
0: But then, in 2018, the deal was called off. Tech bros told they're no longer allowed to colonise French Polynesia.
4: French Polynesia cuts ties with libertarian Seasteading Institute.
6: I mean, they wrote an MOU up with French Polynesia in January of 2017, and then that, that MOU was allowed to die because there was a lot of protest uh, amongst islanders in, in Tahiti.
0: This is Raymond Crabe.
6: And I am a professor of history at Cornell University.
0: He's an expert in libertarian escape exits. Libertarian escape exits. I think we need to start by getting to the bottom of what that means.
6: Yes. Uh, What do I mean by that?
0: So there's two parts of this which you have to understand. There's the libertarian part.
6: In terms of libertarian, I mean people that would be considered in some vocabularies as minimal statists.
0: So limited government intervention. Or
6: monarchists.
0: There's a focus on one person in power and an emphasis on the role of individuals more broadly. Or
6: sometimes neoliberals
0: in favor of free market capitalism. And again, that means less government intervention. Uh,
6: But these are not anarchists. These are not people who are against the state and government and also against capitalism or the kinds of economic systems that we currently inhabit in the world.
0: Ray says you could actually describe them as hyper capitalists,
6: but have a a pretty dim view of uh, of government.
0: And then there's the escape part.
6: Exit or escape is the efforts to, in some form or another, escape the form of the nation state itself. So this is not about being an expat. It's not about leaving the United States. Or Australia. Going someplace else uh, and establishing yourself there in another nation state sovereignty paradigm. It's actually creating an entirely different kind of territorial entity that uh, that will in some sense provide an alternative to the dominant form of the nation-state that we currently live in.
0: And that's why I think this idea is so interesting. Because if you can really start from scratch, then surely you can start from scratch in a way that's sustainable.
6: The language is, again, that islanders won't have to become climate refugees. They can actually stay in the communities where they were raised and they were born and so forth because you'll have these... Uh, these actual platforms that will rise with sea level, ocean sea level rise, and so forth. You could potentially tether them to portions of the island itself. You can fix them into lagoon settings, and so on and so forth.
0: But Ray has questions.
6: Well, what does that mean then? Does Tahiti basically become those platforms? Uh, are they leased? Are they? I mean, is you know when you're talking about five million or four million dollars to build a couple of single family dwellings? Are people really going to take in climate refugees from a neighboring island? I mean, how does, you know, the mechanics of how this is actually going to work is where the payoff is.
0: Evidently, French Polynesia had questions too, because otherwise the island would be there by now.
6: And this is what the sea seasteaders, I think, today kind of re-raise, which is, is the open ocean open? Is it a space where you can, in fact, legally, in some form or another, assert some kind of authority, sovereignty, property ownership over it.
0: And this is something the world will need to work out before large, floating, man-made cities can rise from the sea. But Ray has doubts more fundamentally about what these structures would be able to achieve.
6: I think they're shiny, glossy promos for what is essentially, in my opinion, now becoming timeshare ocean colonisation. And I think that's my concern. I think the, the problems are much more, the issues are much more structural than engineering our way out of um, what is, the, you know, what is the, the, the approaching problem or the, the, the existing problem of pretty catastrophic climate change. Um, and so the idea that somehow or another we can save the planet and make a whole lot of money together too at the same time seems to me precisely the problem.
0: And so if starting again means seasteading, the solution would only be viable for a fortunate few.
6: You know, for the seasteaders and for um, the territorial exiters, you know freedom, which is a, a social condition, <laughs> um, freedom for them becomes a place.
0: An exclusive, elusive, floating place.
6: Right It's a place you go to. It's not a social condition that you you struggle for.
4: It's a little bit depressing to think that the best way of creating change is to just bail out and start from scratch.
0: This is Matthew Daly again from UTS.
4: But (laughs) I can see the attraction in it sometimes.
0: A new city rising from the sea like long-lost Atlantis, coming to solve our climate crisis through a new sustainable society. It is an attractive idea. But sitting on a hill in Narara Eco Village, I start to see that starting from scratch isn't really the
2: point. We're not uh, doing a shut the gate and um, lock everybody out. We're not wanting to isolate ourselves from the rest of society. We see the need to transform society.
0: This is something Matthew Daly told me as well, that where seasteaders ship off to start again, eco-villages are more about fixing what we have.
4: There's quite a lot of advocacy for change. There's a global eco-village network which is quite... Active as in discussions with the United Nations on different issues, and has members all around the world. And
0: eco-villages can engage on a more local level too.
2: It's really important that we see ourselves as a demonstration that people can come. We have these open days. We'll have other um, groups that come up to look at what we're doing and to see how how we're doing it and learn from our mistakes as well as the things we did well hopefully in order to be able to put some of those ideas in practice wherever they happen to be, in, in their their little suburb where they are if they're living in Sydney or maybe a rural environment. But the sort of ideas of, of eco-villages where you're looking at... Uh, Um, the well-being of people, um, the social infrastructure, the economics, um, as well as the environment and the natural world. Those are all things that we can do in different ways wherever we are.
0: And they're lessons that visitors will take home with them when they leave today's open day. But there is one more message to take home, if you're willing to hear it. After lunch and when the other visitors to Narara have either gone on to their afternoon activities, things like soup making, the planting bee, group drumming, I ask Scylla, an active community member of the village, to have a chat. She leads me past some mushroom, mushroom logs mushroom and into the shade of a large tree. Beautiful. Um, I guess, in terms of what you hope on a day like today people will take back to their respective lives, what message do you hope people take with them? Um, probably the word hope
1: is the word i would take i would hope they would take back so i would say that what i would like people to go away with is some hope belief that other possibilities can emerge because it's sometimes hard to do, to feel that
0: and those other possibilities relate to the way people live together or the environment or i mean it's everything
1: the interconnectedness the the sort of The circularity and the extension of the circularity of the connections that you might make here—that benefit and ripple out from beyond. Um, I believe that we are a place of service, Um, and um, and I think that if we—I personally believe that if I stay true to honoring the earth on which I am and recognize that I am never an owner, only ever a brief custodian. And if we can take that and do the best we can with that, and these little children, from my perspective, if I would like to visualize those boys in 10, 15 years' time and to see them as young male people who are helping to change the world towards a divine feminine rather than than the masculine paradigm that has been taking it over. That's my feeling. Thank you so much.
0: You've been listening to Think Sustainability, which is made in the studios of 2SER with the support of the Institute for Sustainable Futures. This show is made on Gadigal land of the Eora nations, whose people's sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe now to the show wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Nina Kopel. Thanks for listening.